0: Hey guys it's elena welcome back to 20 something for today's episode i thought it would be fun to run through the synopses of 20 books in 20 minutes at least i'm hoping to make in 20 minutes my plan is is to give you a short summary of the main lesson from 20 books that i've read recently and the most interesting takeaways like tangible things that i got from each of these books the idea is that it can replace you having to read the entire book or if any of them pique your interest, I'll make sure to link them in the description in case you wanna read the full thing so you can have the original versions. I'm not gonna do these in any particular order, so it's not by any means my most favorite to my least favorite book. This took me so long to prepare this episode because some of the books I read new just for the sake of recording this for you. I'm also gonna share the link to a Google Doc that I created with a list of my top book recommendations because I get so many DMs about what books to read and which ones are my favorites. So I made a doc called Books to Read in Your 20s and I'll have that link below. Also important to remember that none of what these books says is hard truth in each case it's the author's individual perspective on like one narrow topic of writing so i know the approach that i like to take when i'm reading books especially nonfiction, as a lot of these are is to take what you like and leave what you don't but again don't take anything that the author says is hard truth it's just an opinion let's get started <music> The first book is Atomic Habits by James Clear. The idea of this is that whether you are conscious of it or not, much of our lives are made up of habits, both good and bad. So you can improve your life by building more of the habits that you want and less of the ones that you don't want. A few of my key takeaways from this, the first is a strategy called habit stacking. So if you are trying to pick up a new habit, stack it or pair it with a habit that you already do. Let's say you wanna be more consistent with a skincare routine and you already have the habit of brushing your teeth before bed every night. So you can try to do the skincare routine directly before or right after you brush your teeth every night because by stacking it onto your existing routine, it's easier to remember and more likely that you'll stick with that habit of implementing your skincare routine. The second takeaway is that starting a new habit is the easiest at the beginning of a new chapter or a change in your environment because your life is already changing. You're already going through a fresh start, so that's a good time to introduce a new habit and again, makes it more likely to stick with it. The third is that if you give yourself an immediate reward for acting in favor of your desired identity, you will perform that behavior more often. Even if your desired action is, let's say, refraining from doing something, Give yourself a reward for it because otherwise normally there's no immediate reward for resisting temptation It's only a delayed reward. So like let's say you Say no to eating a piece of chocolate cake because you're trying to watch your help There's no immediate reward for that because it's a lack you are only rewarded Long term because you will be healthier or lose weight and that's why it's so hard to do So come up with reward that you can give yourself for refraining from doing some negative behavior as an example if you're tempted to call an old lover or something like that, or again, eat a piece of chocolate cake, give yourself a reward like a glass of wine as a a present for not having done that. I guess the glass of wine probably contradicts the chocolate cake, but you get the point. The last takeaway I had from this book is that if you want to adopt a habit, change your identity to think of yourself as the kind of person who does that thing. The example the author gives is a smoker. So let's say someone's trying to quit smoking. Instead of saying, no thanks, I'm trying to quit, Say, no thanks, I'm not a smoker, because the latter is more effective at stopping the habit of smoking because you're identifying as someone who does not smoke. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. Amazing book. The idea of this one is that life is not so much about not giving a fuck, but choosing selectively what things to give a fuck about. The fucks that you give, i.e., like the things that you care about, spend time on, spend thought, attention on, should be limited and should be chosen carefully. Otherwise, you'll exhaust yourself without a real outcome. This one's a really fun read. I would buy it even just for the bright orange cover with the word fuck splattered all over it. It makes for a cute coffee table book. The third book is The 4-Hour Workweek. This is the classic book by Tim Ferriss. It's about optimizing productivity to spend the least amount of time working possible so that you have more time in your life for travel, fun, other passion products, etc. Takeaways from this, this has some good specific tactics. The first is Pareto's Principle, which says that 20% of the inputs drive 80% of the results. You can apply that to a lot of things, time, money, the list goes on. So if you focus your time on 20% of tasks that bring the most results, then you can cut 80% of the tasks that you are filling your time with. My second takeaway from the four hour work was parkinson's law so this is the idea that work expands to fit the time that you give it and by that logic shorter setting yourself shorter deadlines are better because time pressure forces you to only focus on the essential and you'll actually get the work done in that short deadline as much as you might think it's impossible so if you give someone six years to write a book they're going to take the entire six years to write it and give you a mediocre book at the end of six years if you tell someone write me a book in six months they're going to be able to write a book in six months because again, work expands or contracts to at the time you give it. And ironically, the second person's probably gonna produce a better book because with that short deadline, they were forced to cut the crap and just focus on what matters. So they'll write a more concise, clear, impactful book. Third takeaway from this was emphasize your strengths. Don't waste time trying to fix your weaknesses. So identify the very small number of tasks that you were actually good at and spend your life doing those, at least in the, in the professional sphere. Very last takeaway from this one is that if you know you're going to do something eventually, don't waste time thinking about it, dragging it on, writing pros and cons lists. Just start now. This is actually the philosophy that is what pushed me to start this podcast. I knew I was going to start a podcast eventually in my life, so I was like, why am I wasting time? Might as well start it now and get through that bump of episodes sounding like shit, audio being like shit, because at least I'm learning, and I knew I was going to do it anyway. Book number four, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. This is an amazing book I would recommend for anyone who has a small business or is thinking of starting one. The entire book is about one simple lesson, which is that you should work on your business and not in it. So what does that mean? The easiest example he gives is one of a baker. So if somebody wants to open a bakery and scale the business, the person who will do that the most successfully is not necessarily the one who can bake the best cakes. Baking the best cakes is working in the business. Instead, the person who'll be the most successful with that kind of business is the one who can hire and manage a team of people, teach them to bake cakes, run the shop's finances and marketing, execute on the big picture vision of how many and where to open new locations. In other words, that's the person who's working on the business and not in the business, getting their hands dirty. You have to be an entrepreneur. You don't just have to be, it's not enough to just be good at the craft. You have to be good at managing a business book number what are we on now one two three four book number five is called reminiscences of a stock operator it's by edwin lefebvre this was written a super long time ago it's the biography of a guy named jesse livermore he was one of the most famous traders in the 19th century and the book goes through the story of how he got into trading as a kid because of this natural gift that he had at understanding numbers he was really good at predicting the ways in which they could move It goes on to tell this very up and down story of how he makes a lot of money and then loses it all and then makes a lot of money again. My main takeaway was not so much a particular trading strategy, but more the realization that if someone who's so naturally gifted at trading can lose all of their money so easily, it's probably a bad idea for most people and you should just stick to long-term investing and not trading. Book number six, Um, (laughs) this one's called, I read a book called Wine, A No Snob Guide. It's by Laurie Stevens. It's about the history of wine like how to pair it things like that i'll give you the key takeaways champagne pairs well with dessert brie truffles things like that rosé is really good with fruit a lot of people know this i feel like but red wine pairs well with red meats anything smoked or grilled and then white wines pair better with like light meats chicken seafood sweet and leafy greens and anything with spicy chilies I also learned reading this book that different glasses, so different shapes of wine glasses are optimal for different kinds of wine. So glasses for white wine are smaller than the ones for red wine because the top is more closed off. So it holds in the delicate aroma of like a white wine better. Book number seven. This is a popular one. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Really great book about interpersonal communication. This was written a while ago. I think it was originally published in... In the 1930s, I wanna say 1936, but a lot of the lessons of it are still relevant to any kind of interactions that we have today in the workplace and social relationships. It teaches you how to be more likable to other people, which often translates into getting what you want. My takeaways from this book, use people's names. A person's name is the sweetest sound in the universe to them, so if you use people's names, especially if you remember them, they'll like you more. Another big lesson was to talk, always speak in terms, of The other person's interests. So if you want someone to do something for you Don't tell them how much it's going to help you tell them what they get out of it The last is to not criticize people the second you criticize anyone, especially in an argument Shuts them down. They get defensive people don't like being criticized and anything you say After that point will go in one ear and out the other instead if you're in a conflict or if you're in an argument with somebody Spend your time listening to them. Let them say their part let them express where they're coming from and that act of feeling heard feeling listened to disarms them and then it'll be more it'll be easier to make your point or to get what you want from that point on next is a book called never eat alone by keith Ferrazzi. this is a book about networking in business main idea your network is your net worth the author talks about how you should be a social connector so you can build up equity in relationships by connecting two people who without you might might never have otherwise connected so in business you could connect someone who's providing a service to a person who's requiring the service like a friend who's looking to buy a new house with a real estate agent you know or set two people up on a date and if you act as that social connector then you build equity in your relationship with the people on both ends of that transaction a couple other key takeaways i got from this one People's memory of who they meet is easily forgotten. So always follow up because otherwise, if you only meet someone once or twice, they're automatically gonna forget who you are just by nature of the volume of people who they meet every day. Become an expert in one thing and you will be indispensable to your firm. This is something I wrote down because I remember thinking it was really valuable and wanting to apply it when I start my job in September. So again, if you become an expert in one niche topic, then suddenly you are more valuable to your company because you are their expert on that thing. So. Let's say you become an expert on crypto. You're really into Web3. You know a lot about that space. Start a monthly email newsletter where you send a mass email to your firm or to your closest colleagues and share like a few bullet points on key things you've learned, developments on this topic in the industry. And if you do that, then you'll give yourself a direct line of communication with people high up in the organization. Because again, if you're known for like sending around this little email, that could make its way to senior partners who now know you as the person who is the expert on crypto. The last thing I learned from this book is that friendship is built out of the quality of time spent between two people and not the quantity. Next book is called Why Men Love Bitches by Sherry Argov. This one's for the girlies. Success in love is not about looks, it's about attitude. The most attractive woman is the one who can hold her own, who doesn't need you and who you have to work. The author's thesis is that nice girls can be boring in a relationship because they give themselves away too easily and then they end up being walked all over and anything that is given is easily taken for granted. On the reverse side of things, things that are forbidden immediately become more desirable. Another interesting takeaway I got from this is that the strong woman is not trying to convince others she's so strong, she just is. So don't tell a guy how you wanna be treated just to show him what happens when he doesn't. The next book is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. This one, again, was written a long time ago, and it goes through the success stories of various notable entrepreneurs, inventors, politicians in history. And if you look at all of their success stories, you see the trend that they all believed in themselves with 100% conviction as if they knew for certainty that they would succeed and that they would make a lot of money before it happened. So think and grow rich basically just means convince yourself that you are rich and it will become Reality. And I guess that's a result of a combination of one, you burn bridges of any plan B options that you might have considered. So you have higher conviction in the thing that you were doing and are therefore more likely to be successful. And then two, maybe the universe conspires to make what you believe a reality. Next book, Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. This is a really basic book on personal finance. Uh, it's a go-to if you're just starting out on how to manage your money. The TLDR is that poor people spend their money, rich people invest their money, and that owning a business is the quickest way to wealth. Another similar one is The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clason. That again was written in the 1920s it's super easy to digest written almost like a children's book it tells the story of the richest man in babylon who became the richest guy by saving 10 percent of any income that he made and investing it in either his own business or by lending it out to people who repay him interest he introduced for the first time the pay yourself first principle so that 10 percent of the income that you save should be the first quote unquote bill that you pay when you get your paycheck so don't wait until got your paycheck, you pay all your other expenses, buy new clothes, go out to eat, drink, and then save what's left over. That never works. Instead, pay yourself first. As soon as you get paid, set aside that 10 to 20% of your income as a non-negotiable immediately, and then whatever's left over is yours to use to pay your expenses and buy other superfluous things. The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. This book is kind of sinister. It assumes that the end goal of anyone in their life is to maximize their power and to maximize control over others. I'm not sure that I agree with that underlying assumption, but it does have some interesting tactics. One is that people are enthralled by mystery because mystery invites constant interpretation and it leaves people craving more. So, If you can learn to use ambiguous phrases in your speech, or be inconsistent, or sometimes stay silent, you can emanate an aura of mystery that keeps people interested. He also says that every now and then, you should act in ways that don't align with other people's perception of you to throw them off. A last piece of advice he gives is to keep your friends close and your enemies closer, which sounds sounds cheesy, but again, he goes on to give some interesting examples of it using historic characters. The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. This is one of my favorite books. The main lesson is that you are not your mind. Your mind is what we think of as the voice in our head that engages in this like incessant chatter, the worry, the anxiety, what do other people think of me? I shouldn't be doing this, etc. But the real you is not that voice that you hear in your head. You are the observer. You're the person listening to that voice. And once you realize that, you can separate the voice in your head from you and hopefully eventually silence it present moment is the one where you can feel the most blissful the happiest because nothing can harm you if you think about it like right now in this second the past is the past it's no longer hurting you at this moment right now and anything that you worry about in the future hasn't happened yet and may never happen so it can't harm you either right now in this moment you're fine so if you can teach yourself to live by each present moment, you also silence the chatter in your mind because what your mind is going on about is usually about either the past, some past trauma that it's obsessed with or something in the future that it's worried about happening. The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. This is the OG book about manifestation. It's a little woo woo, but it does have some good principles. One is that like attracts like. So. The picture that you paint in your head about how the world is and what's bound to happen in your life ends up being reality. If you think positive thoughts, good things are more likely to happen to you. If you think negative thoughts, that's more of what you're gonna attract into your life. You can manifest what you desire into reality just by continuously picturing it. So have the belief that it's yours and convince yourself that it's true before it actually happens. You can do this through things like visualization, making vision boards, trying to feel the emotions of what it would be like to accomplish X, Y, Z before it actually happens. And the science behind this has a lot to do with your reticular activating system. So it's the part of your brain that filters out what to focus on, what to cut out. So by thinking more frequently about what you want, you're more likely to notice more of those things and more likely to put yourself in positions to get that thing because your mind naturally wants to prove you right. So it's trying to filter to find opportunities to get you to that thing. The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. The idea of this book is that our happiness depends on our energy and something so important as energy should not be left up to chance. So he says that we can be conscious of our energy levels and choose not to close off when things irritate us. Another interesting thing I got from this book is that death changes everything in a single instant. Every single thing in your life that you're worried about, your partner, your job, your physical body, your money will be taken from you in a split second. So maybe those things weren't so important after all. He also talks about this idea of the tau or the way. In most things in life, like the pendulum swings between two extremes and it's never good to be too far at either extreme. If you eat too much or too little, it's going to kill you. If you like a person, being too close to them all the time maybe is bad and not seeing them at all is also bad. The tau is somewhere in the middle and that's usually the healthiest place to be. The next book is called The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf Dobelli. Each chapter of this book is centered on a specific psychology theory that points out basically the inconsistencies in the way that we think. He has a chapter on confirmation bias. Executives, for example, decide to execute on a new strategy and then everywhere they look, they see things as confirming evidence and then they conclude that the strategy is working and any details suggesting that it may not be working are kind of, they dismiss them as special or one-off cases. Google is so successful because the company cultivates a culture of creativity, and then you see any company that is also successful and is also creative, and you attribute that to their success. What would be more helpful is actually think of some examples of companies that cultivate a culture of creativity and are not successful. It'll help you push back on that thesis. A few key takeaways from this book. One is that people are motivated by fear of loss more than by potential for gain. So frame things as you need to take action on X, Y, Z, otherwise you will lose this thing instead of if you take action on X, Y, Z, you have potential to gain whatever. If you have an important meeting or a pitch, schedule it for right in the morning or right after lunch because people's capacity for decision-making deteriorates through the day unless they refuel. So if you schedule important meetings for right after breakfast or right after lunch, they have a clearer mind and are more likely to make the right decisions or say yes to what you're proposing. Next is a book called The Art of Abundance by Dennis Jones. This one's kind of fluffy. I just finished reading it. To be honest, I wouldn't suggest reading the whole thing. The author takes about 200 pages to say one simple thing, which is that the universe is abundant. And if you tap into that abundance mindset, you will attract more of what you want in your life, money, happiness, etc. An example of an abundance mindset is not being stingy with money. Like take yourself out to a nicer dinner every once in a while to remind yourself that a lavish lifestyle is within your reach and that there's more money where that came from the opposite example again is someone who hoards their money and has a scarcity mindset that person emits such a negative energy around money and a fear of losing it that they're actually blocking themselves from making more money the portrait of dorian gray by oscar wilde this is one of the only fiction ones on my list but it is my favorite fiction novel and the lesson in it's really philosophical i think it's one of wilde's best books and i've read a lot of his stuff It's about a really young guy who's stunningly handsome and his looks catch the attention of an artist who paints a portrait of him. When the boy sees this portrait of himself, he basically falls in love with it and then he falls immediately into a depression because he realizes that he will never be as young and as handsome as he was in that moment that the portrait was painted. What starts to happen throughout the book is that the boy stays as young and handsome as he is in that moment in time. And instead, the painting is what ages and the painting starts to get uglier and older every single time that the protagonist, that the guy commits a sin. So he hurts people, lies, does ugly things. And every time he does that, the painting gets uglier and ages. So basically, the painting ages in his place. How to be Parisian wherever you are. It is co-authored by four French women. So these four girlfriends wrote it together. It's not a novel. It's just a book with a collection of little tips and tricks and paragraphs and images about supposedly rules that French women live by in different areas of life, style, food, romance, partying, parenting, to be more coquette. It's hard to give takeaways, but a couple cute little tips that I picked up from this book. The Parisian woman speaks softly so that others have to lean in to hear her. She talks politics with her mouth and sex with her eyes. She never picks up the phone on the first ring. She always has a beige trench coat in her closet to throw on when it's raining. She perfects a few simple recipes that seem complicated so she can impress dinner guests. And when it comes to style and makeup, less is always more. I need to take a breath that was so much to run through but I hope you guys enjoyed those little summaries most of these were really great books I have them all linked if you like these episodes share it with a friend text the link to a friend so that they can check it out too it also helps a ton if you can rate and leave a review on apple podcasts literally say anything you want roast me tell me your favorite part of the episode what you want more of Comments are what really help the podcast reach more people on these audio platforms. So I would really appreciate it. I love you guys as always. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you next Thursday.